Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. If you want to get in touch with the show, email us at IllegalMotionPodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Illegal underscore Motion. Thanks for downloading. Hey everybody, welcome to another Illegal Motion podcast. Uh, the professor can't join us tonight. He's got work, unfortunately, and we really didn't want to let our opinions sit around and grow stale from last night's really, really exciting title game. So um, we're going to start off with that. We're not going to do any quick slants yet. We're, we're just going to dive right into the deep route of the biggest game of the year. And, Coach, my initial takeaway right after the game, texted all of you guys, and, man, special teams bit Clemson, the blocked kick, the kick return, and then an onside kick leading to another touchdown. That's 17 points. I think Clemson outplayed Alabama. They were by far the better team, but they got absolutely killed in one phase of the game and didn't dominate the other two enough to pull off the victory. So Alabama got it done. Yeah, I think so. And uh, I mean, you look at what Clemson was able to do on offense. I mean, they they racked up forty points and you know five hundred and fifty yards of total offense, and they just moved up and down the field. And I think what you know what makes them what makes them dangerous on that side of the ball is just that they uh, they play with such a tempo. Uh, I was impressed with the tempo in which they were playing and the game plan in which they had offensively, where they you know. They wouldn't let Bama substitute. They, those guys were in good enough shape to where they could they could be really fresh uh, defensively. I thought Brent Venables had a tremendous game. Um, you know, you got you, you got to credit you know Alabama special teams for for running the score up a little bit, but he did a good job of uh, you know I, I would say effectively taking Derrick Henry out of the game because outside of that long run, he really you know. Uh, other than two goal line plunges, which it took them until they got inside the one yard line for him to plunge in, you know, I, I think that they did a good job of containing him all night long. When just when he thought it was patented Derrick Henry time, you know, for that big carry, they never really got it out of him. But you know, for Alabama, a uh, guy OJ Howard, he, he's been sort of in the mix all year long. Comes up in a huge way last night, Josh. Uh, Want to talk about him a little bit, but. Um, yeah, special teams. You know, you can't you can't give up you can't give up an onside kick. You can't give up a, a kick return for a touchdown, especially when you're trying to trying to build momentum. Uh, special teams is a perfect way for for you to uh, you know if, if you're Alabama and, and you're getting outplayed, it's a good place for you to, to pick that momentum back up. If you're Clemson, it's an ultimate backbreaker. And as soon as that kick return uh, was taken to the house. I was like, that's it. I thought after the onside kick, they had a chance. And then, then when they, they Clemson scored, got it back even, and they let the kick, kickoff return go. And I thought that was the, I thought that was a point which, yep, that's going to see what that, that does it right there. And then it really did. It just got them, got them ahead enough to where it made it really difficult on Clemson. And, uh, you know, you just got to credit Bama special teams for, uh, for keeping a minute. And you got to credit Bama for, for keep fighting, even though they were outplayed, Clemson kept fighting. It was a, it was a really entertaining game to watch, Josh, and you know I, I think it was you know it was one that that lived up to its billing. 
we brought up Howard, and obviously that leads to the surprisingly outstanding day Alabama's passing game had. Jake Coker, um, at times, I think all three of us have sort of been critique, critiques of him, much like everyone else who follows this sport, uh, which leads to a great question that Matt asked during our, our texting while we were watching the game, and that was the Mackenzie Alexander injury. Did that play a factor? I still think it's the special teams and, and Saban squeezing points out of that phase of the game, but... Uh, I, I know Matt was pretty high on that chess piece being taken off the board. Well, I, I think if McKenzie Alexander's in there and he comes up on that screenplay that O.J. Howard almost took to the house at the very end of the game, I think if McKenzie Alexander's in there, he comes up, he makes that tackle, Clemson's getting the ball back with a chance to win the game. So um, I think it hurts them there. But overall, I, I think they were able to survive and compete without him. Um, and that's a big, you know, that's a big shout-out to, to the backups, to Cordrea Tankersley and, and, and those other guys. Who I feel bad for, Josh, is uh, is the free safety. Um, I don't even know his name. But he, had two blown, he had two blown coverages. Uh, blown coverages in which he was just standing still, didn't see didn't see the receiver come run right by him, was standing flat-footed and just looked lost out there. And uh, I was kind of surprised that they that – they, had two major blown coverages that led to, to led to tie points. That led to the two long touchdowns, actually, for, for Alabama. Well, we've talked a lot right now about Clemson, and obviously we all picked Clemson. I think all of us were rooting for Clemson. Despite being number one in the nation, they felt like big underdogs, and, and Vegas had that as a touchdown game. Uh, so let's talk about some stuff that Alabama did really well, and this will probably surprise a few people, but Link Kiffin's got to be a super hot commodity now, right? This is several years in a row that he has made that offense great. He's 40 years old, so he's certainly matured from his Tennessee, USC, and Raider days. Is he just going to stay at Alabama, keep this train going, and, and when Saban retires, he's the heir apparent? Or, or do you think you know something opens up next year? with the crazy coaching carousel, as always, and Lane bolts for another job. That's, a, that's an interesting one. Um, I mean, I, I know the examples he's had to look at, and, uh, you know, Kirby Smart being one of them, he was, a, he was Nick Saban's defensive coordinator for eight years, um, finally got the perfect job that he wanted. Uh, Georgia opened up, and he, he jumped at it. And, and I think Nick Saban now, or Nick Saban, um, 64 years old, you know, got to be thinking retirement here in the next few years. But, um, you know, you also got to look at uh, Lane Kiffin and, and what he's seen and kind of the model that, that the Alabama coaching family goes through. I think he's learned a lot about, you know, the, the job situation and things like that. I mean, look, look, let's be honest. He's making, what, $1.4 million? I think he's pretty comfortable um, where he's at. And I think he's, you know, I, I think he's uh, able to be more selective with the jobs that he picks, uh, with with the salary so high, and uh, just kind of the way that, that it happens there at Alabama. Uh, whether or not he takes over for Nick Saban when he retires, that's a different story. Um, I'm not sure. I know he's definitely probably in the mix, but I'm not sure who that guy is. But uh, it'll be interesting if he ever does leave, or when he leaves, uh, who will replace him there at Alabama, who can keep up the, the pace of, of winning. I mean, four years, four 
title in seven years, Josh. That's amazing. But, uh, yeah, he is a hot commodity. Um, I don't know. He, he might even – I don't know if there's a job out there for him this year. Um, I think he you – know, I think next year is going to be really tough for him to turn down some, some opportunities, um, you know, if we, if we look at coaches on the hot seat. Um, I think you're going to see uh, Lane Kiffin back in the mix. Well, the interesting thing about Kiffin is, I mean, his dad spent so much time in the NFL and, and Lane got to start in the NFL. We keep thinking about these dream scenarios of, of schools getting him. He might go off the NFL, be an NFL OC for a few years, and then get a gig up there. I mean, there's, there's no guarantee that he stays down here in college. No, I mean, there's always that possibility, too. I mean, he's been there. He was with the Oakland Raiders for a, for a brief minute before Al Davis, you know, being Al Davis and fired him. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I think there's some opportunity there. He knows the pro game. I think he's cocky enough to be in the pro game. I think, I think he was, you know, with the limited talent that he had with the Oakland Raiders then, I think he was doing okay. I don't think he was anything great, but, you know, I think he can go in and, and uh, OC for a few years, kind of get get back comfortable in the pro game and, and set himself up for another head coaching job because, you know, every year there's going to be eight jobs that open up because, you know, a team that went 11-5 and five goes 8-8 eight and, eight and they fire their, they panic and fire their coach. So, um, you know, there's always that possibility. And there's always, you know, the NFL coaching Carousel is just getting fired up, and there's a chance that he could get his name in the mix for for a few of those opportunities. So you never know. I mean, he might even have a chance in a, in a pro head coaching job. Who knows? I mean, you know, the, the way of the, the way of the NFL is they just take the flyer, and if you don't work out in one year, they they let you go and, and move on. So and that might be a case where somebody has some familiarity with them in the NFL, and he might get a chance. You never know, Josh. And it's it's, it's going to be interesting to kind of see how it all shakes out. Um, you know, see how the college coaching carousel kind of kind of wraps up. I know it's kind of calming calming down a little bit, um, but uh, you know, you got to look at places like you know, you, you think of places, Josh, that kept their head coach, right? You look at what Purdue, um, even Nebraska, kind of a head scratcher. Why they hired? <laughs> uh, why they hired uh, it, Mike Riley? It's funny you bring up Nebraska because Illinois. Uh... Not out of the woods. I mean, when they hire a new AD, there's not any guarantee that that, that uh, Cupid stays on. So, go ahead. I was just saying, it's funny you bring up Nebraska because uh, when I was double-checking stuff for this show, he never played there and he never coached there, but Lane Kiffin was actually born in Lincoln when his dad, Monty, was on the staff there in the 70s. So, you know, if he remembers Lincoln well enough as a toddler, maybe he goes there. Huh. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a job. It's, it's, a, it's a funny connection. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you're born there, and you're just like, well, okay, all right. Well, you know, fair enough, you know. I think uh, Nebraska fans would love to have him, but, of course, there's a lot of there's a lot of people that would be an upgrade over their current situation. So, um and you know maybe that's maybe that's just a way too soon type uh, type analysis on on Nebraska. Maybe they're doing the right thing, but I don't know. I mean, you have a guy like Lane Kiffin who uh, was starting to become successful at USC, but I think when his time at USC and his time with the Oakland Raiders, I think a lot of it was was immaturity. I think a lot of it was he wasn't ready mentally to be in that type of role, and I don't think he could have. I don't think he could handle it. I think he was a little bit of a playboy 
Um, I think he's learned some things. I think he's matured a lot or as much as he's going to or as much as he can. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd like to see him get another opportunity to see what he can, see what he can do. We mentioned way too early stuff. Um, one of the initial reactions from this game has been, where does it stand all time as a title game? You know, 85 points back and forth, crazy fourth quarter. Then also people uh, wondering where Nick Saban is in the pecking order of all-time greatest coaches. So, uh, Corey, go ahead. Where does this game rank for you, and, and where does Saban rank? Is Saban the greatest of all time? That's been the question. Oh, uh, that is a good question. I mean, you think of you think of your all-time greatest coaches. I mean, you got to sit there and, and look at look at Bear Bryant, who's got six national championships. Um, you, know, you got to look at some of uh, you know your you know he's surpassed and he's done it. He's done it at two different schools, uh, LSU and Alabama. He's won his five titles. One at one at LSU and uh, and four at Alabama, and so. I think I think you've got to give him some serious consideration, um, but I, I think that I think it's a little bit early. I think you have to. I think that's a decision where you have to let it play out uh, to the end of his career before you can before you can say that. Um, but also, Josh, I think there's a lot more different factors that go into it um, than just national championships. You know, I think there's there's more to it than that. I think if you Judged based on national championships, you got to say Bear. I mean, you got to look just look at the the, the pecking order. You say Bear Bryant, and then Nick Saban. Okay, so criteria number one: national championships. Okay, he's uh, he's still got a ways to go. I think he will be the greatest coach of all time in that category. I think he'll surpass the Bear. Um, he'll get at least one. He'll at least tie it in the next couple of years, and he'll get one more before he rides off into the sunset. Uh, you got to look at all time wins. Um, you know, there's a whole list of that too. Um, a list that, to be honest, I haven't even considered looking at because I just got, kind of got stuck on the national championships. To be honest with you, um, to answer your question though, I, I think he is. You know, I think what he does for a program, and I think is what he's done for multiple programs. He got Michigan State on the map. You know, Michigan State wouldn't be who they were if it weren't for Nick Saban getting them started. I know it. Took a little bit longer after he left, but you know I think they hired the right guy in D'Antonio, and 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 he got him started. Uh, I think what he did for LSU, LSU was a joke, and uh, he got them back on the map. And Les Miles has done a good job of sustaining that for the most part. And then of course you know it's hard to it's hard to judge Alabama because Alabama is such a traditional power, um, but their program that was kind of in shambles when he took over. You, know, you had the whole Mike Shula era um, that just was laughable. You know, it was, it was basically it turned into a circled win on the on the on the schedule. And uh, you know, that first season, you could tell that the transition was going to be tough. He went seven and six, um, and I think barely beat Colorado in the Independence Bowl that year. And then went on next year, and and the rest is history. You know, two uh, two years after he took over, he won the national championship, and he's won. One four in the last seven years. So, you know what he's done and what he's the programs that he's built. I I would say yes. I would say that he's the greatest coach of all time. Uh, and uh, I think the only the only person that he's competing with is Bear Bryant in that category because I think Bear Bryant has done the same thing as far as building programs from nothing. So 
I think when you when you talk about greatest coaches of all time, it's Bear Bryant, it's Nick Saban, and then everybody else. Well, I guess for first of all, for the game in terms of where its prestige was, I, I think it's a little bit of initial reaction of, of remembering how good it was. But Alabama's comeback came at the end of the third quarter, and they tied it very early in the fourth. So I don't think it even get, comes close to Texas-USC. No, as far as games go, Texas-USC uh, is number one for me. Uh, you know, you got to look at Florida State-Virginia Tech in the second BCS National Championship game. Ooh, I was going to uh, say the, the Miami Buckeyes game with the highly controversial pass interference, the game went into yes. overtime. That was a yeah, Miami, Miami won it, and then they had to get called back on the field. Um, yeah, I remember that one. That one was my freshman year of college. Um, my sophomore year of high school was the national championship where Michael Vick basically uh, almost led Virginia Tech all the way back against Florida State. Um, what about uh, – you got you to look at uh, – you know, there's a couple of games that probably could have been. Uh, you know, one of the games that comes to mind is the 2009 Alabama championship. Colt McCoy gets hurt on the first series. Mm. You know, what could have been had he stayed in that game? Do you think uh, Texas has a chance in that one if he stays in that game? Oh, I, I think so for sure. That, that still ended up being a pretty close game. Wasn't it like 10, 14 points maybe? Yeah. I feel like yeah, Colt still- like McCoy's got at least 10 points in him. And then uh, one that comes to mind to me is the one that the following year with Auburn and Oregon. I think that was a really good one. Uh, the very last BCS championship game where Florida State beat Auburn, I think that was one that came down to the wire. And they traded they traded a lead, I think, three times in the last five minutes. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, I think Florida State scored, Auburn scored, and Florida State scored again at the end of the game. Uh, I think with probably, I think it was 30 seconds left, they hit uh, – they hit, uh, crap. I knew I'd draw a blank on this guy's name. Uh, guy that got drafted in the first round by the Panthers. Why can't I think of his name all of a sudden? Big tall guy. You know what I'm talking about? What was the year again? It was 2014. It was the very last BCS oh. championship game. Uh, uh, or 2013. Cam Newton. No, wait. No, no, no. Oh, I heard you say Cal- Carolina Panthers. Yeah, he got drafted uh, by the Carolina Panthers. <laughs> Uh, in the first round, big tall receiver. Your brain fart is somehow like giving me a brain fart. Yeah, he uh, he's been on IR all year. Yeah, uh, this, year. this is a podcast first, a mutual brain a cramp, mutual brain fart, like yeah. a mutual blank out. What the heck is his name? Uh, big tall guy. Crap! Now I'm gonna have to look it up. Uh, he got drafted towards the end of the first round. Uh. Kelvin Benjamin. Okay. Yeah. James Winston hit Kelvin Benjamin in the back of the end zone. Now the game's less exciting because it took me 10 years to, <laughs> to explain it. But uh, I remember watching that one. It was, it was in Pasadena. It was at the Rose Bowl. Uh, it was Auburn's miracle season. After they, uh, a year after they uh, went winless in the conference, come back, Gus Malzahn's first year. Uh, that was an exciting one for sure. Uh I remember the anticipation for a lot of them and being disappointed, like the uh, USC Oklahoma 
Mm-hmm. Reggie Bush came, where it was 55 to 10. Um, I remember the anticipation coming into last year's game with Ohio State, and they just pretty much crushed Oregon's dreams from the start. Um, I remember uh, some of the more disappointing ones, but yeah, I mean, if I had to rank my top three, it, I Eric, would say Texas. Eric what? Crouch, Eric Crouch, and the Huskers laid an oh. absolute stinker against Miami. Oh, man. <laughs> And, and to be honest with you, I don't know that even if they played their best game, if the, if the result would have been different that game. Um, uh, remember remember uh, 1995 with Florida and Nebraska where Tommy Frazier um, introduced himself to the to the rest of the world if they didn't already know him? Yeah. That was a um, – you know, you got to think of – if we're just looking at BCS era games, then I guess, uh, you know, you got to look at – USC, Texas. Um, that's the gold standard. That's the gold standard right there. Then you got to look at um, Miami, Ohio State in 2002, and then you have to look at, at this one this year. Um, yeah, I, I wish I remembered the Tennessee game better, the very first one. It, it's a tight game. I know T. Martin. I know Phil Fulmer. I, I know the names, uh, and I know the box score. I, I just don't remember yeah. that game. It, it was a tight one, and, and I think – what happened was Florida State, uh, Chris Winky was not able to play in that game. Uh, it was Marcus Outson was the quarterback. Peter Ward, I think, only had two catches for like nine yards or something. Tennessee's defense was just stellar. I mean, couldn't couldn't move an inch on, on that defense, and the defense really uh, did it for him. Uh, T. Martin just had to show up and not screw up. <laughs> the defense was going to take care of the rest. I remember that game. T. Martin, uh, T. Martin calls Peyton every day, right, to remind him that he's the one who has a ring from college and not Peyton, right? Yeah, I think yeah. he does. I think he, because uh, he's uh, he just got named offensive coordinator at USC. Not, well, no, <laughs> offensive coordinator, something like He just got a big promotion at USC, and I think. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, well, to end, my opinion on Nick Saban is – a classic waffle. I'm going to say yes and no. He's the best for this period, without a doubt. The BCS era and the start of the CFP, it's all saving. But I don't know how you compare eras. We've had so many different trends in football, you know, can you even compare him to someone who completely revolutionized the game, like go way back to a Newt Rockney? You can't. It's impossible to do that. I don't think you can determine anyone as the greatest ever. And in my opinion, wins are a big factor. And Saban is 191, 60, and 1. It's fantastic. But Bear Bryant has 323, 85, and 17. So. Bear Bryant has fewer losses and like 150 more wins. And then if you want to go way off the board, I mean, Joe Paterno, 409-136-3. and three. I, I yeah. mean, that's never going to get sniffed. And, and, then he, and he did that across. He, he transcended uh, different eras. But, yeah. you know, I, the, the thing I look at, Josh, um, and, and I try to go beyond just the wins. I look at the programs that he's impacted. I, yeah. I look at the programs that he started at and where those programs currently sit. And a lot of your great coaches 
there's a lot of programs that have great coaches that move on that can't recover. Um, and I think that, you know, part of those, part of what makes those programs not able to recover is that when the coach leaves, you know, they, you know, the cupboard is not as, the cupboard is more bare than, than, than you think. And, and the, the infrastructure is not as strong. I think what Saban has been able to do is from the very top to the very last football staffer in, in the football department, I think that he is top-notch. And I think that he he infuses greatness throughout the entire program. And I think it's a culture you can tell because the culture which he leaves lives on. And it's lived on at, at LSU. It's definitely lived on at, at Michigan State. And it probably will live on at Alabama. Um, probably the impact is probably not so great at Alabama because they're used to yeah. that kind of thing. But um, you know, you got to look at what he's done at other programs. I'm not sure um, you could include Michigan State on that because they hired one of his assistants and they promptly tanked. They had Bobby Williams was terrible and John L. Smith was even worse. But they were, you know, it was just one of those things. You know, the culture yeah. of the program was still good, though. You know. Because they're they, they were able, it's it's weird. Like even even when they're in their in their worst years, you could just kind of tell that it was it was a short term deal, and it was just an individual that made some some poor decisions. But the roster management never really faltered, and they were able to transition into Mark D'Antonio pretty smoothly, actually. And I think Mark D'Antonio's had a lot of success because he's had some good stuff to work with. Um, and I think that goes back all the way to Saban, even though they had a couple of stinkers in, in the middle. Um, yeah. Now I may be wrong, um, but that's you know that's kind of how I feel about that's kind of how I feel about uh, what Nick Saban's done for those programs. Well, before we move on, do you have any other final thoughts about uh, putting a bow on that title game? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, just for all the millions of high school coaches and high school players that are that are listening to this, uh, you know, special teams, special teams, special teams. It's very important. It's a it's a it's a great equalizer. It's a great way to give yourself an edge in a game, and it's a great way to lose your edge in a game. But you know, overall, it's a very entertaining game to watch. Um, some guys that you didn't expect to become playmakers became playmakers. O.J. Howard. You know, Wayne Gallman really um, went from being a good, solid tailback to a difference maker, and I think he's done that throughout the whole playoff run. Um, I thought you gotta—I I would be remiss. I would—I would kick myself in the head later on if I did not mention Hunter Renfro yeah. and the impact that he's made as a preferred walk-on, freshman preferred walk-on, make two huge catches. In, uh, for touchdowns in this game, man, what a story! You know who he reminded me of? Who's that? And this is going to be very weird. This is tad obscure, but they said he was a quarterback in high school, but just had Option such, but just had such, you know, athleticism and brains having to run an offense that they put him into wide receiver and he just figured it out. And one of Iowa's best players in the Ference era, Marvin McNutt, 
came yes. with the exact same pedigree. He was a quarterback in high school yeah. that was just an athletic freak. And when you are a quarterback, you obviously have a great brain with you and you can figure out other positions. I don't know why this is so surprising. Always take a high school quarterback. You can figure out where to put him. Yeah, absolutely. Marvin McNutt. I know exactly who you're talking about. That guy, uh, is he still kind of uh, messing around in the NFL a little bit? Is he, uh, is he bouncing I, around practice squads? I know he was with the Eagles when he got drafted, but I don't think he survived the uh, the purge of uh, of Mr. Chip Kelly. I think he I think he was out before then or got cut when the transition happened. Um, he was he was a tad slow for the NFL. I think that was what eventually bit him, which is too bad. Um, yeah, he was a, he was yeah, is he's a very talented guy. He's a smart guy too. Um, well, we did our deep route first because there was only one game to talk about. But um, I, I thought we could do a, a each do a quick slant because with so much run up to the title games and the Bulls, I know we missed some stuff. And I know what mine is. Uh, do you want to go first, or do you want me to kick it off? You go ahead and kick it off. All right. Well, mine is the retirement of Larry Coker at UTSA. Um, well known for being the Miami coach. Won a national title there. Almost won a second. Um, I think he's a Hall of Famer because in addition to doing pretty well at Miami and r- building UTSA, they weren't a program before he got there. Um, He was also the offensive coordinator for a while at Oklahoma State. Uh, You may have heard of one of his better players that he coached. Um, He called plays for one Barry Sanders. So, um, yeah, this was a pretty... Yeah, uh, he was a pretty good coach. And now that we've had some time to reflect on it, I can't believe it. He he got fired in 2006, so almost a decade ago. Um, Well, really a decade ago. But his last three years at Miami... He has a higher win percentage in those three seasons than Randy Shannon or Al Golden. So even if you throw out his first three seasons where he went 12-0, and 12-1, 11-2, and won three Big East titles, his last three years that were supposedly awful are better than what Miami's been doing. This is a guy who got a raw deal. He was scapegoated for the Devin Shapiro situation, and I think that kind of put a little bit of a mark on him, and that's why he... Didn't get a job after Miami let him go. Went into the TV booth for a few years. UTSA built a program, you know, called him to be their first ever coach. So he was out of the game for about five years. Um, but between his yeoman's work as an assistant and winning a national title and leading some of the most electric Miami teams, as well as being a founder of a team, I, I got Larry Coker in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean... You know, to be honest, I, I didn't know a whole lot about his resume before he came to Miami. But I mean, that makes sense. I mean, he, he was he was able to step right in, pick up where Butch Davis left off, and, and won a championship in Miami. That kind of, I think, everything leading up to that was worthy enough. And I think that he was able to cement himself with his legacy at Miami, and then of course uh, taking over UTSA and, and really just trying to get get them on the map. And I think he's done a good job of getting them on the map. So, you know, hats off to Larry Coker. I think he's had a great career, and I, I hope he enjoys his retirement. But uh, my, sec, my, my, my first quick slant, you know, you just got to 
as I reflect on the season as a whole, or you know, I'm, I'm gonna take a look at the off season. A lot of coaching changes. Um, you know, being a Georgia grad, it was an end of an era at UGA. Mark Rick um, heading down to Miami, heading down to his alma mater, and I think it's you know, I, you know, in my initial reaction, I was kind of upset about it. I think it was kind of the I was initially thinking it was the wrong decision. It was the wrong thing to do. They were gonna regret it trying to chase somebody with no experience. But, you know, the more I looked into it, you know, the more I, I dove into the situation, the more I thought that Mark Rick, did, you know, that his time at Georgia needed to end. I think it was, I think mutually, uh, both parties were exhausted, burned out, tired of each other. And I, I think that, I think it just needed a jolt. I think it needed a change. I think Mark Rick needed a change. Personally, I think he needed to, to leave. And, and uh you know, I'm glad he got an opportunity to dissolve the water. I think he's very excited about that. I don't think, I don't think if he went anywhere else, he would be as excited. I think he would just kind of run off into the sunset and be done coaching. But since he got this opportunity that landed right in his lap at, at Miami, I think it's perfect for him. So, um, you know, happy for him. Happy for what Georgia has done with with Kirby Smart. I think that they've done a good job of hiring the right guy, and I think Kirby Smart's done a good job of surrounding himself. With uh, with brilliant young coaches that will hit the recruiting trail, so you know hats off to that. Uh, a lot of good changes. Uh, Houston, I think, uh, is one that comes to mind, showing you know that they want to commit to their football program and they want to commit to doing things the right way and doing things at a big level by ponying up three million a year for Tom Herman. I think they did the right thing for their future. Um, they might be vying for a Big Twelve bid. Uh, here pretty soon with that move. Uh, you know, you have to look at um, some of the coordinators that, that have that have bolted. Uh, Bob Shoup is the most recent one coming down from state. Um, makes you wonder about James Franklin and what, what's going on up there at State College. <laughs> you know, that's that's two of his big-time assistants leaving. Herb Hand uh, was one of his other uh, long-time loyal assistants. Uh, offensive line coach went down to Auburn laterally. And Bob Shoup made the lateral move over to Tennessee um, for the same position. So you got to wonder about what's going on up there, what the future is, and, and maybe, maybe they, maybe they're worse off than they thought. Um, you know, what, what other coaching changes am I leaving out? You got to, uh, I know I'm leaving out a lot of them, but uh, you know, you got to look at the situation that happened at LSU and how it got resolved. That's a head scratcher. Um, got to look at uh, South Carolina. You know what all they went through. Um, they thought they were going to get their man. They didn't end up getting their man. Uh, they ended up getting Will Muschamp. Um, now, if he's learned something, that might be a good move. But I just don't trust it right now. So, a lot of coaching changes. Um, a lot of interesting ones this year. Mark Rick going to Miami, of course. Uh, you know, Bronco Mendenhall coming over to Virginia from BYU. Kenny Amadalolo, uh, you know, with the possibility of leaving, he ended up staying at the Naval Academy. But the fact that he even looked anywhere else is surprising. So it's been an interesting offseason as far as coaching changes. Uh, this one more so than, than uh, last year and year before that. I've been looking on football scoop a lot more than I usually do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's, go- it's going to be interesting uh, as far as coaching coaching changes, things like that. The NFL one is, is going to get interesting as well. So uh, just kind of something that, that jumped out at me um, on first glance and reflecting on the season. 
All right. Well, to wrap up the season, a little new segment. I created it. I call it the triple option. My three favorite things and the three worst things about this season. Uh, so my three things that I loved, uh, number three was the American Conference. And I'm not just saying that because Matt's not here and we need to represent the American Conference. Uh, this was this was legitimately a fun race. You had Memphis uh, sniffing around the tournament for a little bit. You had Houston sniffing around the tournament for a little bit. You had Navy be a great team this year. Um, this is a really fun league going forward. And you mentioned Tom Herman hanging around. Uh, Houston, we're going to do a very, very way too early top ten uh, I have a feeling that all three of us have Houston somewhere in our top ten. Uh, a very similar number two favorite thing, uh, being a Big Ten blogger, I could not have dreamed for a better Big Ten season. Um, Northwestern was way better. Uh, Wisconsin was competitive. Then the East was insane with Michigan, Ohio State, and Michigan State really coming down to the last two weeks. I left out a team because that's my number one favorite thing. As an Iowa Hawkeye diehard, never in my wildest dreams did I think they were going to start out 12-0, be fourth in the playoff race for a while, make the Rose Bowl. I mean, yeah, we ended 0-2, but 12-2 is phenomenal. This will always be a memorable season. Uh, So that's my number one favorite thing. What were your top three favorite things? Top three favorite things – my hashtag that I started the preseason with year, the running back coming to fruition. You know, you have two two running backs in the uh, in the uh, Heisman race. Christian McCaffrey probably should have won it. Um, so it made made things very special to watch um, from that positional standpoint with him and Derrick Henry. Um, you know, my second favorite thing, uh, the emergence of Clemson, and the fact that my wife is now interested in football, <laughs> um, even more so than usual. Um, so, and, and Dabble Sweeney is still one of my favorite coaches, and I, I, I really just you know enjoy hearing him speak and, and just kind of watching Clemson play. Uh, I've become a little bit more of a fan than, than I ever was. So, um, you got to get up there for a game. I, I know. I, well, I've been once. I've been oh, okay. To Death Valley once. It was, they, they, it was a game in which they played Auburn. Oh, nice. And they stormed the field. It was, it was a game in which Auburn was favored to win. And Clemson won. I was at their um, game that they opened up with Georgia a few years ago, and they were both top ten teams. Yeah, don't remind me. Um, and then uh, my, my third thing that I liked was uh, I really liked watching Navy play. Um, and, and I'll go a little bit more specific with, with your American Conference deal. I really enjoyed watching Keenan Reynolds do his thing at Navy. I really enjoyed watching them uh, just run like an efficient machine, um, you know. It, that was fun to watch as well. And then uh, an honorable mention is, of course, uh, the Big Ten being as competitive as it was. They needed that for, for their conference reputation. Uh, I need to remind everyone our show is not sponsored by the American Athletic Conference. Uh, it seems like it might be at times, but we are not. Um, my three... Matt, Matt's pushing for that. Yeah. Professor's pushing for that. Uh, my three goats, the top three, just disappointing things. Um, it really, and it's strange for me to say this because I, I don't care about the program, and I don't even really care about Les Miles, but it really pissed me off how LSU was so willing to just toss aside 
one of their all-time winningest coaches. I didn't get it. That that just really aggravated me. I, I think that showed some of the really bad money aspects that this sport's gotten into. Um, I know football's privately funded by donors and stuff, but Louisiana's like a bankrupt state, and LSU's like a bankrupt university, and they're trying yeah. to spend millions upon millions to bring in Jimbo Fisher and just, you know, kick kick the hat out of the side. I didn't like that. Uh, second thing, this bowl season, oh, I don't know if it was just the games weren't competitive or 41 bowls is about 15 too many, probably a combination of the two, but it felt like the regular season was over in a minute, and it feels like we've been talking about bowls for like six months. And uh, my number one, I've been on it all year, officiating, I thought, think has been reached a low point. It's like every week you find games get messed up. Even our title game, they started the clock after a first down. I mean, that's a simple rule. That's been probably... That cost Dabo a timeout and three points. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure since the very first game that Rutgers played, the clock always stops on a first down. I don't think that's anything new that those refs should have been confused about. And it's just really disappointing because this has become a business. There are... They were Pac-12 officials. Surprise, yeah. surprise. I mean, this is this has become a business. You know, jobs are in the line. Like, you know, Duke's entire season got messed up by a disheartening loss. They were in contention to win their division at one point. Got screwed up. You know, this just cannot happen, and I don't know what the remedy is. Mine is to have very strict penalties for refs, as in, like, a colossal mistake gets you fired. You never officiate again that might be too harsh i don't know what the solution is but man those three things really bumped me out maybe just make them more accountable publicly you know the the same way that coaches have to answer publicly for their mistakes and players have to answer publicly for their mistakes maybe officiating press conferences after the game i like that yeah just make them (laughs) you know they need to be Accountable somehow, some way. I, I I don't know that there's the interest there for an officiating press conference. I don't know that too, too many people are attending that one. But I, I mean, you know, I think, I'm imagining I think last night a lot of the Clemson beat writers probably would have visited that one. I'm imagining Brent Musburger turning it over to Holly Rowe on the field to talk to the head official at halftime. <laughs> yeah, the NFL's done it. The NFL, uh, Mike Carey, has retired from. You know, he retired from on the field. And he's the, uh, you know, he's the liaison for ESPN now. Yeah. He's he's up, it's on those ESPN broadcasts, just trying to, you know, translate what the what the officials are talking about. So, uh, Josh, I have to say that your three goats, uh, I have to totally agree. Uh, oh. Officiating, I, I think you know, I'll start off with officiating. You know, it's, you know, uh, and especially, I'll even go one step further with the officiating and, and say the. I think there's still a gross mismanagement of the targeting yep. penalty. I think they have to figure out a way to call that better. I, think- I like the intent on the rule um, to stop headhunting, but I think it gets a little bit on the ridiculous side when, um, and I think it's something that has to be reviewable um, if they call it, and they, you know, there has to be a better way of going about reviewing it. Because um, I think that even the reviews aren't getting 
looked at. I, I think they have to change the nature of the rule. I think if you lead shoulder and you hit the chest, it's an automatic, it's not targeting. And you pick up the flag and say, my bad, no targeting. He, hit, he led with a shoulder, hit him in the chest. Or yeah. there's been some cases where uh, defensive linemen can't, can't quite pull up and mm-hmm. they try to pull up and they end up making incidental head-to-head contact. You know, you have to look at intent as well. You have to do a better job of figuring out intent. Well, one thing that's always really irritated me about the rule is how the suspension works. If you do it on the last series of the second quarter, you know, you miss a half a game. If you do it on the first series of the third quarter, you miss half a game and the next half of the... Like, that makes no sense. There has to be a better way to do it. Yeah, there has to be a better way to suspend. I think that if you get one, you miss the half of the next game, no matter where you're at. You just go ahead and you miss the half of the next game. And you get... I I don't know how that works. But, um, you know, I guess they're, you know... Or maybe... I don't know. I I think that there's got to be a better way. And then on the players' end, there's got to be a better way of of teaching tackling. And I I think that, you know, trying to take the... I think trying to take the head out out of tackling... It's going to go a long way in trying to trying to get this problem solved, trying to get the safety issues solved. And I think they're doing a good job. I think they're getting there. I think um, one of my favorite things that is translated from the NFL is uh, hawk tackling, and that's from Pete Carroll and the, uh, the Seahawks. They put out a whole uh, teaching series on how to on how to hawk tackle and take the head out, um, and they were trained by rugby experts on how to tackle without the head. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think if you if you get that involved, I think you can uh, go a long way, and you know even eliminating the targeting penalty. So um, it's just you know, and you just got to find a better way to, to to call that. I think they get a little excessive with it. I think it's I think it's turned into a uh, almost a power trip by the referees. So um, that's got to change. Um, Another one of my goats. Uh, I, I gotta, I gotta go the bowl game route too. I mean, yeah. it's just this bowl season just drug on, and there was a lot of bowls. And we tried to get into it last our, our last pod. We didn't really get too much into it, but I, I think you can take five bowl games and cut them down and cut them out. All right, especially if you're if you're having to struggle to find teams to the point where you're inviting teams that have losing records. That's absurd. You cannot have a five and seventeen to make a bowl game. It's not right. It's it's kind of like giving everybody a participation trophy. It just doesn't work. You know, it doesn't work. And so I think there's, you know, and, and a few bowl games that probably were meaningless ended up being the more exciting games. Um, unfortunately, but you know, I, I think you have to limit your selection on bowl games and just try to keep it, you know, keep it to a select few, you know. Make it make it meaningful. Make it worth something. Fans will come if it's worth something, you know. Make, you know, only have a select few, you know. You have a select few for your group of five teams to play each other, and you have your select few for your, uh, 
you know, for for your Power Five teams to play each other, and that's it. You know, if you make a bowl, you make a bowl, great. But if you finish eighth in your conference, you shouldn't make a bowl. You know. Ditto. Um, and I think they should. You know, that's one thing that's never going to be amended. And that's one thing that's probably because because it's a it's a money thing. But I don't know. I just it, it got really boring, and I got to a point where I didn't really. Didn't really feel uneasy about missing a lot of these bowl games. You know, the one the ones that I sat down and invested in are the ones that I enjoyed watching, like the Pinstripe Bowl, which I thought was going to be you know a terrible bowl when it first got incepted. But it, it's ended up being a really good game every year, and I think they do. And I think that bowl committee does a good job of picking their matchups. But some bowls are just oh, oh. <laughs> even some of the bigger bowls that should never go away just ended up being bad. And, and it's a shame, like a Michigan-Florida game in the Citrus Bowl ended up being the way it was. Because it, it was awful. Yeah, maybe there should be a rule. Awful. Maybe there should be a rule, like, regarding if your quarterback can't make the trip, you don't, you don't get to go to the bowl game. Because the three teams that didn't have their quarterback, those bowl games were unwatchable. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's just, oh, it's terrible. I mean, you know, glad I didn't waste a whole lot of time trying to uh, trying to watch a lot of these bowl games. I'm, try, I'm glad I didn't bust my bust my ass trying to watch a lot of these bowl games because um, it, it didn't end up being worth it. So uh, my third goat, um, you know, I really, I'm, I'm really on the same page with you on the goats. I mean, you know, three most ridiculous things in college football are the officiating. Uh, this year's bowl season and LSU's athletic department, the way they handled plus miles, I think it's, I think it's ridiculous and absurd. You know, that's you know that guy's done so much for your university and your football program. I think you make a mistake if you do that. And you know, I think they, and I think, you know, long term, I don't think because of all this, I don't think West Miles stays now. I think yep. West Miles is on his way out. And he's looking for the right program next year. Um, and then uh, let me see if I can think of a bonus one so I don't, like, 1,000% agree with you. But um, I'll look at the Steve Sarkeesian episode. Ooh, that's a good one. It's it's a sad, sad affair. A guy that had a problem. Thankfully, he's getting it fixed. But, I mean, just put a, just put a black black eye on college football put you know put USC in a tough spot but thank you know thank God for Clay Hilton and, and what he did for that program uh, that's the reason why he's the head coach now but uh, the Steve Sarkeesian thing just you know it, it spiraled out of control and, and you know maybe you know as a you know for an alcoholic I don't think he's a good landing spot I think he needs to find some schools out in the middle of nowhere that has nothing to do for his next head coaching opportunity, if he if he gets one, which I'm sure somebody will take a chance on him, because you know somebody will take you know he's a successful guy, he can be a successful guy. He just got to have that right opportunity. Maybe not as a head coach, but you know maybe when Kiffin leaves, you know the Nick Saban rehab program can can continue on, and he can he can pull in Steve Sarkeesian and set him up for a Power Five job again. So um, that's another one of my goats. Um, I'll do I'll do another bonus one, uh, so I don't completely steal your thunder. Um, 
but Trevon Boykin, his mm. episode, punching an officer, sneaking out past curfew, you know, after showing up on time for curfew. And you know what's so sad about and he's that? A so, he's a so-called team leader, Josh. Well, you know what's so sad about that, too, is he had some trouble a couple years ago, but really turned things around. It seemed like he had matured immensely. And, uh-huh. and, and to throw it all away hours yeah. before a game. Yeah, I mean, why are you out? What are you, you going to accomplish? People know who you are. You're going to draw attention. Why? Why? Why not be disciplined? You were a Heisman candidate for 80% of the year, or at least half of the year until you got hurt. You know? You were a Heisman candidate for a long time. Can't you use better judgment than that? He wants to play in the NFL. He's got to use better judgment than that. He can't. I mean, it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous that that he would, you know, use poor judgment, you know, that poorly. You know, it's just, it, it's unbelievable, you know. It's unbelievable. And, and that would be my last GOAT, um, so, so we're not sitting here for four <laughs> hours talking about trying to round up GOATs. Yeah. And GOAT farm. Um, but, uh, well, so those are my GOATs. Uh, I agree with you on a lot of them, but I need to have some bonus ones so we can have some variety on the show. But, uh, you know, those, those are, those are kind of how it shakes out. All right. Well, we are going to end this show kicking off 2016-2017 with a way too early top 10. Matt emailed us his 10, so um, I'll run through his and we can discuss where we have our, our teams. Um, so my honorable mentions, I couldn't quite get them in. Um, Iowa returns quite a bit of talent, a favorable schedule again, but as the last two games showed, they're not truly elite yet. That's why I'm kind of holding them out. Oregon, if their FCS pipeline pans out again, they'll be good. We saw how good they were with Vernon Adams. We saw how bad they weren't. Uh, Michigan and Michigan State, very similar. Lose their quarterback, lose some other important pieces, but the infrastructure is there with the head coaching, and especially for Michigan State, they've been so good for so many years that they reload. They don't rebuild, and if you're going to talk about reloading and never rebuilding, you always have to include Urban Meyer. So Ohio State, I got about 11th just outside. Uh, So Matt's number 10 team is TCU. Uh, I actually have them higher ranked. Um, what about you? Who's your tenth team? My tenth team is Michigan State. Okay. I, I think you know. I, I think they're, they've done a well enough job. You know, of course, they got a lot to replace. You know, Connor Cook being Connor Cook and Aaron Burbridge on offense. They lose quite a bit offensive linemen, but I I think they're in a position now to where they can. You know, they don't have. It doesn't hurt as bad to lose those type players. I think it. You know, I think they're always going to find some people that can step in and, and really, really do it. They're going to build their defense around Malik McDowell next year. He's a superstar. He's going to be an NFL type type guy. Um, my honorable mentions, uh, some 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 teams I gave consideration to, and and I think that I think my edge for my number ten team came down to coaching. To be honest with you, but you know, my honorable mentions: USC, Michigan, Oregon, Tennessee, and Baylor. 
are teams that all jump out at me that that are that are top ten-ish teams, but have some issues. You know, Baylor just running through their injuries, and then they, of course, they lose uh, a lot of their talent there. USC is a, a team on the rise, but they're not quite there yet because I'm unsure of how Clay Helton's going to really fare. Michigan, they're right there on the cusp. Uh, Oregon, again, they're just like Michigan, right there on the cusp. They're, they're, they're ready to bowl up, but I'm just not trusting them all the way just yet. And Tennessee the same way. Tennessee's probably um, one of the top, as far as returning talent in the SEC, one of the top teams in the SEC as far as returning talent. So um, those are my honorable mentions. My number 10 is Michigan State. My number 9 is actually LSU, the fighting less miles. Um, you know, they, you know, less miles. We talked about the debacle of that athletic program. He survives it. He comes back. That's a huge deal. You know, they lose Vidal Alexander, Lamar Louie, Deion Jones, Jalen Mills, and Gerald Hawkins. Um, they come, you know, Leonard Fournette coming back for likely his last year. You know, that's never a bad thing. Um, they, they hire defensive coordinator Dave Aranda to come in, rebuild, that, retool that defense uh, after somewhat of a disappointing season under Kevin Steele, who somehow found his, found his way into a raise at Auburn. Um, <laughs> I think the one concern for LSU that could possibly just knock them out um, is the quarterback position. Uh, they have nine returning starters on offense, nine returning starters on defense. It's going to be ridiculous for them coming back. But, you know, they got to figure out the, the quarterback situation. That's my number nine team. What about you? Well, Matt's number nine team is Iowa. I know what he's thinking. C.J. Beathard's back. Desmond King's back. Uh, due to injury, they played a lot of new faces on both lines. Uh, so you, you got to like the pieces Iowa has. Um, I never did officially give my 10th team, so I'll do my uh, 9 and 10 teams here real fast. My 10th team, a little bit of a surprise, Boise State. Love Brett Rippon as a true freshman coming in due to injury. Really lit a spark under that team. The losses they had once he became the starter were him just making silly freshman mistakes, but he'll have an entire camp as the starter. I love where Boise's going. Uh, my ninth team, sticking with a group of five, <laughs> got to go with Houston. Uh, what's not to love about this team? Herman wrapped up. Greg Ward Jr. coming back at quarterback. This team is a program on the rise, to say the least. Um, I guess I'll stay in Texas with my eighth team then. Uh, TCU. They lose a lot of pieces, but Gary Patterson is a coach that I believe in. And that offense... As we saw in the bowl game, it, it doesn't really matter as much who's running it. They find a way to, to move the ball and be effective. Uh, who's your eighth team? Well, um, TCU gets Kenny Hill coming in, um, and I agree with you on that one. I, I like what TCU brings. I like Gary Patterson. I like what he brings to the table coaching-wise. I was thinking I was choosing between them and Florida State. Uh, I, I was kind of trying to figure out. Whichever one I decided against in the, in the eighth spot would go in my honorable mentions. So I think FSU is going to be added to my honorable mention list. <laughs> I think I think TCU goes in there at that eighth slot. They get transferred Kenny Hill coming in, um, hopefully to run his offense. They have uh, some key guys coming back from injury, uh, which is James McFarland, Kenny Ioka on the defensive side of the ball. They return. They only return three starters on offense. That's concerning, but they return seven on defense, two in the special teams for an 11-2 record uh, and a great comeback. Um, but coaching is going to give you an edge there. 
they get a boost. Um, a guy that started in the SEC, Kenny Hill, uh, we'll see what he can do. Um, but, uh, you know, well, you know, they have All-American receiver Josh Doxson, yeah. four offensive linemen coming back this season, or that they, they lose them, so that's concerning. That's what I meant to say. I, I was reading two sentences at the same time. <laughs> Friggin' English is whipping my butt. Uh, so... Uh, you know, there's some concerns there, but I think that they're they're at the point where they can, you know, reload those spots, and I think they have enough coming back on defense that they can survive at least coming back. So um, I like TCU at number eight, number seven. Josh, uh, you talked about Houston. Um, I have them actually at number seven. I think they, um, you know, uh, Mark Schleyball had them at ten. You have them at nine. I like them. I like them all the way up at seven. Uh, it appears they've lost a lot, but they. They returned five on defense. They returned seven on offense. But they're, uh, you know, Greg Ward Jr. is coming back. You know, that's a that's a very key piece. It doesn't matter. It doesn't seem to matter who's around him. He can make he can elevate the play of everybody else. Um, they they sign they're signing two guys that played in the Army All American game, and so the recruiting is taking a huge upswing. So I think they're doing a good job um, trying to fill what. You know, trying to fill what they lost. Plus, they play in the American Athletic Conference. They recruit. They recruit as a Power Five team, but they play in a Group of Five conference. So, you know, that gives them a huge advantage. I think they're going to win a ton of ball games, and I think they're just only going to get better and better and better. So, I like Houston at number seven. Yeah, that's a pretty good recipe for success. You're not the only one who likes Houston at seven. That's where Matt had him. Uh, for the record, he had Ole Miss. At eight, uh, his sixth place team is the Buckeyes at Ohio State, um, which is is good. I, I think that's I had them as honorable mention. It's tough to get a read on Ohio State with Urban Meyer. Um, my sixth and seventh place teams are uh, at seven. I got Baylor, and I'm I'm judging this. Based on someone we may have forgotten, because he's been out with injury for a while, but uh, Seth Russell, in seven games, had 2,100 yards and 29 touchdowns. So, yeah, I'll take a healthy Seth Russell against really anybody. They're my seventh-place team, and my sixth-place team is Florida State, and I like Delvin Cook. They got to figure some things out without their quarterback. But I'll take Cook. He has to come back. He was a true sophomore, so he hasn't done his three years in college yet. And, my God, that defense is downright scary that Jimbo Fisher has. They're cooking on that side of the ball to do a terrible pun with Delvin's last name. Uh, so that's my sixth-ranked team. All right. Well, those two are sitting in my honorable mention list. Um I think you know the reason they're sitting there is because the quarterback concern for uh, for Florida State and Baylor. Uh, I just just not sure why that you know they just I don't know. I guess just the feeling I had towards the, the down the down the stretch. You know, with, uh, I don't know. They they're only returning five starters on offense, six on defense. Um, you know, I, I think that some for some reason that concerned me. But uh, my number six is Ole Miss. Um, the Rebels, I think. Um, Chad Kelly coming back is a huge deal. Um, they lose Laquan Treadwell, but they have a guy by the name of 
Van Jefferson that they signed that's in the in the exact mold of Laquan Treadwell. I think he, he's a very long athlete that can that can go and, and run and, and, and catch the ball. Um, and I think he can make the same type plays Laquan Treadwell makes. So I don't think that they really lose a step offensively. Um, they're getting safety Tony Connor back from a knee injury next year. Um, you know, but they replaced six starters on defense. Um, but a defense that had a good lot of quality depth. A lot of guys got some time with, with the injuries that they had. Um, I think the way they showed out in the Sugar Bowl proves that their depth is quality and that they're, that they're starting to recruit at a high level as well. I think Hugh Freeze is starting to kind of get comfortable in the SEC. He was kind of that, you know, soft, spread guy that was just, you know, he just he was just happy to be there. You know, but I think he's really turning into a great SEC coach. I think he's starting to kind of understand um, how the league works, and that's going to be a scary thing because I think he's starting to recruit to that. And so Ole Miss, I think, is on the rise, um, and they're they're my number six team right now. Yeah, I, I left Ole Miss out completely because I, I was just you know Treadwell's a big name, Candice's big name. I, Maybe I'm a little starstruck by those guys and not reading enough into Hugh Freeze's program, but you know, you and Matt both had them, and I don't. Um, who do you got at five? I have uh, Oklahoma at five. Um, I just think that you know they're back, uh, even though they they let Clemson get the better of them. Uh, what concerns me is that they lose Sterling Shepard, uh, they lose Ty Darlington. They lose on the defensive side of the ball. They lose Eric Stryker, Charles Tapper, Zach Sanchez, and Dominic Alexander. Um, those are some really key losses. But they return seven on each side of the ball. They return two on special teams. And they're coming back to a conference in which their style of play uh, will dominate some of the other styles of play. Uh, you have Baker Mayfield coming back, Samaj P. Ryan, Joe Mixon coming back in the mix. Uh, you know, Lincoln Riley's done a tremendous job at retooling that offense and making them relevant. Um, they have a tough schedule coming up. They have a road trip to Houston and a home game against Ohio State. So they're, they're, they'll be tough slaying, so we'll really see what they're made of. But coming into the season, I think they're a top ten team. Uh, they're right there in the middle, number five. Um, and Samaji, or Baker Mayfield's going to be a Heisman candidate. I don't know how long he holds it, but he'll be in the early early Heisman list based on what he did this year. Uh, well, I got LSU as my fifth team. Um, they were incredibly young. Burnett coming back. Les Miles, proven coach. Um, Matt has Michigan State all the way up at number five, so he's obviously buying what Mark D'Antonio is selling. But I, I like that you brought up Oklahoma because Matt has them as at fourth, and I have them at fourth. So we really like that Oklahoma team. You figure, you know, I, I liked Boise State and Houston and Baylor because of the quarterbacks they're bringing back. Well, Baker Mayfield's as good as all of them, possibly even better. You can make that argument. So we're all aboard the Sooner train, the three of us. So um, you know what that means for Oklahoma. They're going to go about 5-7 and seven the way we've been picking games all year. They're going to go 5-7. and seven. They're going to make the outback bowl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. Number four, um, I have none other than the Stanford Cardinal. Uh, they return 11 starters total, six on offense, five on defense. Uh, that's a bit concerning, but looking at their list of their key losses, you have Kevin Hogan, uh, Kyle Murphy, Joshua Garnett, 
Austin Hooper on offense, and you have Blake Martinez, Aziz Chateau, and Cody Whitfield on defense as your key starters. But uh, I think one key ingredient that's coming back, I don't know if you've heard of this guy. Uh, you may not have. If you haven't, but I don't want to start paying attention to him. He's a, he's a pretty good upcoming player. He's Christian McCaffrey. Um, he's coming back on offense. I don't know who the heck's going to take snaps under center, but David Shaw has a good track record of figuring that out. I don't think they have a guy just yet, um, but that shouldn't be a problem right there. Um, they have a couple of key offensive linemen they, they need to replace, but Paul uh, or David Bloomgren does a really good job of uh, trying to get that figured out. The OC offensive line coach, um, they, they don't ever seem to have an issue of getting uh, stellar offensive linemen in there. Um, and then uh, Blake Martinez and two starters in the secondary, that's concerning. But, again, they're a team that just kind of finds a way. They always find a way. They're like kind of like the no-name bunch, but they're, they're the Oklahoma of the Pac-12. They bring a good – they're probably they're, – they are the most physical team in the Pac-12 um, as far as just, they just line up and just crush you and punch you in the mouth, take your lunch money and laugh at you about it. And, uh, you know, I think they're going to do much of the same. And they do that with guys that are no-names coming in that make names for themselves playing uh, in the spotlight. Uh, their schedule, they have road trips to UCLA, Washington, Arizona, Oregon, and Cal. They also take a non-conference trip to Notre Dame. So they got a pretty tough schedule coming up, but I think they can handle it. Well, Matt would agree with everything you said because he's got the Cardinal and his three spot. I have the defending champion. I got Alabama at the three spot. Uh, my one reservation, which seems crazy because we had kind of harped on him all year, and that is by the end of it, Alabama had a pretty good quarterback. And we don't know what they'll have under center this year, but you got to trust the brain trust of Saban and now Nick, now uh, Lane Kiffin. So I got the Crimson Tide at number three. All right. Well, um, I have Ohio State at number three. Why? I don't know. Um, you know, conventional wisdom would lead me to believe that. They're not going to be a top three team, um, but I, but with Ohio State and Urban Meyer, I've, I've kind of learned to throw conventional wisdom out the window. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott's leaving, Taylor Decker's leaving, Jacoby Boren, Braxton Miller, Joey Bosa, Darren Lee, Joshua Perry, <laughs> Ivis Powell, Michael Thomas, Von Bell. All of them are leaving. But there uh, is one guy back. Jones. Huh? There is one guy back. Yeah. It's nice Jordan to have Jones. I was gonna say JT Bear. It's nice to have. Yeah, I was I was adding Cardell Jones to my list yeah. of, of people that. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's nice that JT won't be looking over his shoulder. Right, and that he comes back, and I think that's a huge key for them because I think that he's the guy that if there's ever a guy that can take some of these new starters um, and get them involved, I think it's him. Uh, I think the reason why that I'm not overly concerned with Ohio State. It's because of the uh, the depth that they have, um, and the just the kind of Jedi mind trick they have on, on Michigan. No matter what, it just seems like that they've got Michigan's number. Um, I like Michigan as a dark horse. If I had to drop it, if I had to make one audible, I would I would rearrange, drop Ohio State out, slide Michigan probably in there. My next team in, um, 
if I had to slide and rearrange. Um, but Ohio State's just, I don't know. They always find a way. Uh, they always find that next guy. They, they, they just seem to do it. They're like Stanford, uh, except they have big-name guys that somehow you forget about. <laughs> and they just all of a sudden emerge and go, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. <laughs> you know, that, That's them. And you're going, my God, are they ever going to be bad? It just doesn't seem like they're ever bad. Well, my you – know? yeah. I, I think my number two is very similar on all of our trains of thought with these top three teams, and, and that's Stanford. Um, you mentioned how physical they are. You said that they're kind of like the Oklahoma of the West. I, I'm going to go with something else. I'm going to say they're the Alabama of the West, where that's fair too. We're, we're, uh, that's we're, probably that's probably the direction I should have went in. Well, Hogan was a good quarterback, but he's a replaceable quarterback. All you need, oh yeah, all you need is someone who is enough of a threat that the opposing team can't load the box. Because all McCaffrey needs is a little bit of a seam. And you can create that with a seven-man front seven. When the quarterback is so terrible and they can start bringing extra pressure and just loading the box, that's when that's when Stanford's going to fall apart. But I got trust in David Shaw. They'll find someone. And you know what? McCaffrey okay. took some direct snaps this year. He's such a good player. Hell, he's through the ball at times. Maybe he'll end up being their starting quarterback. He evidently can do it all. So... Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. He'll be the head coach, the water boy, yep. the film guy, and the tailback and the defensive end, the linebacker, and the safety all at the same time. I, I was really uh, disappointed about his lack of kicking this year. Yeah, if, if he's got to improve that. If there's one weakness he has, he's not a very good place kicker. Yeah, he could have got the Heisman if he was a place kicker. All right, so uh, my number one and number two. Uh, number two is Clemson, number one. Obviously, is your top dog Alabama, um, and until they get knocked off, you know my my whole theory as far as number one is your your national champion. No matter what they have coming back, they are number one. They should be number one coming into the season because they won the national championship. Now, you know whether or not they stay there, it's a different story. But you know it's only fair to the national championship champions that they come in as the number one team. Um, but Bama is a very deserving number one, one team. Uh, they lose Jake Coker, Ryan Kelly, Jaron Reed, Reggie Ragland, and Cyrus Jones. Uh, those are some really key losses for them. Uh, and, you know, Derrick Henry's going to turn pro early. He's likely going to go ahead and make a decision on that yet. But, you know, Alabama is just littered with five-star talent. And, you know, they, they don't rebuild, they reload. Uh, and of course, if you have Nick Saban at the helm, you know you're always you're always in the mix. Uh, with Clemson, uh, I'm concerned that they lose Shaq Lawson on defense. I'm concerned that they lose Sharon Peak on offense. Um, but they have Hunter Renfro coming back. Uh, they have Wayne Gallman coming back. Um, they have Ben Bowler coming back. Um, you know the guy. I can't think of his name. I'm having another brain fart. But the the, uh, the young guy that played behind uh, Shaq Lawson a lot, especially when Shaq Lawson was banged up, they have him coming back. They have a lot of guys coming back on defense. And defensively, I really trust Brent Venables um, to get those guys ready to play. I think they're going to be a top-ten team for uh, Dabo Sweeney's entire time there. 
Um, you know, I think they're going to be a team that's in a position now. And when we get into our recruiting specials, uh, you'll you'll kind of see why you know that Clemson's going to you know in the future going to be a perennial top ten team. But um, Deshaun Watson, if he's at the helm as quarterback, you know, well, well he has to be right. Back. He's a true sophomore, so he's kind of like Delvin Cook. He has to. Yeah. Um, he has to come back. He can't leave. You know, he's like Fournette. He's like Cook. He's a. He has to come back. Yeah. Um. Well. Matt agrees with you. He's got Alabama 1, Clemson 2. Obviously, by process of elimination, since I haven't said Clemson yet, I got Clemson number 1. I just love that returning cast, and um, I think they're going to be super-duper angry, pissed, hungry, chip on their shoulder, everything Dabo likes. It kind of remind me of Ohio State a few years ago when, due to the sanctions, the Buckeyes went 12-0 and but didn't get to do anything. Remember yeah. that? And then and last it, year they said, <laughs> you know what, we're going to do something. Yeah. I think I think so, too. I think it was a good learning experience for Dabo um, for this championship game. He learned that he could play with the best. And he learned that, and he learned from some of those mistakes that he made. Um, and hopefully that uh, the next time they're in it, the rest won't screw him as bad. But, uh, I, yeah, I, I like, you know, Clemson being at number two, I think just strictly because they – I would have Clemson at number one. I think talent-wise and what they have coming back, they're more of a number one than Alabama is. But I can't go against my theory of yeah. you're the champion, you're number one coming in. I don't care. I don't care if you lose all 11. You're number um, one. So your one, two, and three is Alabama, Clemson, Stanford, correct? Yes. And then Ohio State at number four. Okay. And Matt's... Matt's no, wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. I'm going to pull – no, I had Ohio State 3, and I had Stanford 4, but I'm going to oh. pull an audible. Okay. I'm going to pull an audible here. I'm going to check at the line of scrimmage. Stanford moves into number 3, All Ohio right. State is down to 4. All right, so you got – That's you got that's who I'm going to – that's how I'm going to do it. You got Bama, Clemson, Stanford. That's the exact same thing as the professor, and I've got Clemson, Stanford, Bama. So – Based on how we picked bowls, based on how we picked the tournament, uh, those three teams you can just write off right now. Like they're not going to do anything next year. Uh-uh. Yeah, exactly. All right, yeah, they're screwed. Well, we're going to wrap it up. This is not the last show of the year. This is actually really our first show of next football season because we're not going away. We got stuff about yeah. recruiting. We got some fun stuff when the weather heats back up and it's the dog days of summer. Uh, talking about like ranking logos and jerseys, fun crap like that. Uh, so just check us out. Keep following us on Twitter. You know, we got a Facebook. Subscribe to us. You'll you'll get the show, and you won't miss any of these cool things we've got planned for the off season. Exactly, and, and uh, maybe we can do like a coach's corner or something. But kick around some ideas. We'll talk kind of in the off season. We won't be obviously as frequent as we were during the season um, because there won't be as much to talk about but uh, you know some shows might be heavier than others but we plan to have a lot of fun with this thing guys and and, uh, if you're new to us you know keep downloading us stay with us Uh, Illegal Motion College Football Podcast we got our own we got swag now you can order some koozies with our logo on it you can order some coasters 
some t-shirts, some hats. We're 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 gonna we're gonna open up a merch shop for all ten of you listeners so far, and then maybe we can build our audience that way. But it, no, in all seriousness, though, we, you know, it's it's a fun podcast. It's something that you can enjoy. It's something that you know you can relate to. You know, we have we have guys from all walks of life. We have a professor who's a who's a big time fan of the game. We have a blogger, a guy that 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 follows it intensely and and looks really closely, especially at the Big Ten. Uh, and then uh, you know you have a coach, you know that brings a whole different side of it as well. So you know you have three completely different points of view, um, but that's kind of what makes us go, right, Josh? And I would just like to add, we're, we're very family-friendly. It's amazed me how infrequently we've sworn on the pod when, if anyone were to look at our texts during the games, they're just incredibly vulgar. Oh, yeah, if anyone looks at... You know, I, I think if you look at our text text chain, and we had a, if we had a show swear jar, our text chain <laughs> would be able to fund a year's worth of salary for all three of us. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what our text chain looks like, but you know we're professionals, and uh, we try to keep it we try to keep it clean for you, so that you and the kids can listen and share our wrong opinions with uh, with each, with everybody. So um, it's a very exciting thing that we've that we've gotten into. Um, this is our inaugural our inaugural season. Um, so if you're with us right now, stay with us. And you could you could be the one that claims I was with them from birth, you know, from the birth of the show, um, and so we we hope that we have continued success. Um, if you know if you know someone that's not listening, get them to listen, get them to check us out, um, and you'll be a better person for it. <laughs> I think that's the perfect. Selling point. Better your life by listening to our show. Uh, with that, exactly. with that, uh, we'll be back uh, pretty soon doing a recruiting roundup, uh, and Matt will be with us. We'll be full strength for that show. Thanks as always for listening and downloading, and check out our off-season pods coming up. This is the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Check us out on Twitter. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.